0: Hello and welcome to the Home Bible Study Podcast. We are currently studying in the Letter to the he- Hebrews. We have uh, come to chapter twelve, and we the last lesson was chapter twelve, verse four. We're going to proceed from there. I'm going to do a little review just so that we can get caught up and get the full context of what's being. Presented here now, Hebrews is a uh, interesting letter in that the writer has not been identified. Uh, most other letters, the writer identifies himself uh, immediately, but this one, I believe, the writer did not identify himself because the people knew exactly who it was. Um, that this was an individual that, by the time this letter was written. Uh, was of some renown in the church community. And this letter was written uh, not so much as a letter to the churches, but a very personal letter from the Hebrew perspective of transitioning from the Old Testament relationship to God to this New Testament relationship in Christ. And you have to remember at the time, this was not very popular. Uh, These people were considered to be outcasts not only in a general population just for being Christians and believers, but also of their own people. So this letter was written from that perspective to these people, but there's a lot of basic information for the church uh, outside of just the Hebrew uh, Jewish community that applies to the church uh, corporately. And so uh, hopefully we've seen some of those things. Definitely faith is a um, reoccurring theme throughout this letter. And now um, I think for chapter 12, the title that my Bible has is Perseverance of Faith. And I think that's a very good title because uh, now he's uh, the writer is presenting, The facts of the day-to-day walk, the challenges that we face as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And everybody's in a different place in their journey. Some people are in the very beginning. Some people have been walking with the Lord for a long time, but the same truths apply. Um, And that's why we are able to grow, because the Word is living and the application is for each of us. So, with that said, I don't wanna take a lot of time. That's, a, I don't want to take a lot of time for introductions, but do a little review. So, um, in chapter 12, verses one through four, we get the standard or the expectation for service. It's established that we have the challenge of a sin nature, and we also have a purpose that God has given us. And we have to run this race with this weight upon us. And so um, we are to lay aside everything that can be a weight or a hindrance to our running, right? Um, Some things are a hindrance because we allow them to be. Others are a hindrance that come in our way. Um, But we have to keep running. And we have to identify these different encumbrances these weights um, these different things that will come in and stall our service or take us um, out of the race uh, for any period at all so that's the purpose of the world the flesh and the devil that's the the goal but our purpose is greater than those things our purpose is seated firmly in the will, the power, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that. We are, as uh, the writer said, more than overcomers in Christ. So we will overcome these things. That must be our mindset. We have to cling and grasp to these truths and run the race. So that's uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Um, Chapter 12, 5 through 10 is what we're going to be studying today, Uh, and it's the example of a father's discipline. So anybody who wants to run a race, anyone who wants to be an athlete, knows that it requires discipline. You have to train, you have to practice, you have to um, discipline yourself so that you will uh, faithfully strive towards your goal. And the effort that you put into that is a precursor to the benefits that come out of it. So, as an athlete running a race, we have to discipline ourselves. We have to uh, deny ourselves some things that we might want to do. We may want to go hang out with our friends, may want to go... do some recreational thing that we can you know, because we have to practice. We have to spend that time uh, devoting ourselves to development, to our self-development, so that we can run this race uh, with a goal to win the race. And that should be our objective. We want to win. So that means that we don't always get to do everything that everyone else does because we have a purpose. That is different we have a goal that's different from everyone else and this goal has been given to us by the lord jesus he's given each one of us a race my race may be different from yours Uh, my path may be different from yours our paths may intersect but we different definitely have a different race course that we're running and the expectations on me are different from those that are on you It's important to identify your spiritual gift or gifts. That's going to help you determine what God's purpose is for you and get you on track. But you have to be disciplined to uh, do the things that make you better, that make you uh, to grow. God has grace to um, empower us. He's given us God, the Holy Spirit for that. But there's a responsibility that we have as well, right, in this, and that we have to run the race. So we're going to be looking at discipline, the purpose of discipline, the attitude, uh, the self-examination that has to happen, uh, the challenges or dangers to that take us Out of the race the writer here is going to lay this out for us and explain it in a way so that we can understand how to apply these things to our individual course that we've been given right so we can encourage one another because when we are running that race and we're experiencing these challenges and by the grace of god we're led to overcome these challenges these fears or whatever that gets in the way it allows us to then encourage and strengthen others who are experiencing the same thing so that's where this is coming from the writer is speaking from experience the writer is speaking from a point a place of love and concern for the Hebrews and the the very hard things that they're experiencing. And this is part of the Christian life. This is an integral part of our Christian life, uh, is the struggle. Um, We have, we're in a war zone. We have enemies that are against us. Uh, Not enemies that we should fear. But enemies that we should recognize and respect. And we've been given armor. And you're not given the whole armor of God unless somebody's going to be shooting at you, right? So we do have those that are shooting at us. And so this individual, the writer of um, the letter of the Hebrews, is going to share this wisdom with us. And hopefully it's something that we can incorporate into our lives that i'm sure many have already incorporated but if you have then this will just be an encouragement to uh, further strengthen your um, growth and development so let's take a look at um what it is it says here in hebrews 12 i'm going to read verses 5 through 10 hebrews 12 verses 5 through 10 and he says and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto us as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastenment, Whereof all are partakers, then are ye then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our own flesh with which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily, for a few days, uh, for they verily for a few days chastened us, speaking of our own fathers. After their own pleasure. But he, speaking of God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So, this is a very interesting section, and it really took a lot of prayer for me to really try to grasp this in such a way that I could communicate it um, as effectively as possible. But it's really not super complicated. really very simple so coming off of verse 4 where the writer tells us no one has resisted sin to the point of bloodshed right because we're still alive Uh, we resist sin daily that's our daily battle right Uh, but no one has resisted to the point of shedding blood because we're still alive we don't live in a time Uh, in this country where we're uh, persecuted on that level uh, on a on a on the scale that the Hebrews did in the early church there are countries where you are persecuted there are Christians that are persecuted unto death but uh, here in the US we have got not gotten to that point as of yet Um, so coming off of that saying hey now you know, you haven't resisted until the resisted sin, until, you know, the shedding of blood. And so now he's going to also build on that and say, now, there's a purpose for the challenges that you're facing. Yes, they're hard. Yes, you look around and you're like, it's unfair. You know, I'm being, um, treated poorly simply because I believe and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, that I know that he is God and the savior of all that will ever be saved. Because I know that and I live my life according to that principle, I am suffering um, on a scale of uh, the the world, the flesh, and the devil, the tri the the triune enemy, um, and and it can if you allow it if you really focus on the suffering, it can really get you in a place that uh, takes your eyes off the Lord. Uh, if you focus on what it is that you think you're losing, or you think you've lost, then that becomes The biggest thing in your vision. What we have to do and what the writer is trying to encourage us to do is to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus first. Um, We have to consider him. Consider him. And if we consider him and all that he is and has done for us, then the things that we don't have or we lose in this life seem pretty minuscule in comparison. But just in case, just in case you take your eyes off him and you start looking at all the things that you perceive that you've lost, he says, remember that there's a purpose for whatever you're experiencing. It's not without a purpose. Now, you may not understand that, but according to what this verse is saying, what these verses are putting forth, there is a purpose. And he's saying, you've forgotten that. He said, there's a scripture that he's referring to. And he says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation. That's the encouragement, the words of encouragement, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So first of all, we have to recognize that When a believer experiences any kind of loss or challenge or uh, trial, that it's purposeful. That it's designed uniquely for each individual. And there's a purpose in it. Because we are unruly by nature. As sparks fly upward, so is man prone to sin. So we have this sin nature in us. And no matter how much growth or development that you feel that you've accomplished, that the Lord has accomplished in you, you still have a sin nature. And that sin nature needs to be uh, put in check. And the way we do that is through discipline. We do that through studying the word. We do that through a disciplined prayer life. We do that. By having a consistent communication and dialogue with the Lord Jesus through God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. So it's very important for us to understand that discipline is a, an integral part of who we are now and who it is that God is making us to be. And that it's not just automatic. It's not default. You know, we just push a button and it just happens. We have a role. We participate in this growth and development. By doing so, God is allowing us to experience and know him in a way that we would not know otherwise. We can't lose sight of that. That through this chastening, through this uh, discipline, the trials that he brings into our lives, he is revealing aspects of our own selves He's showing us who we are. He's showing us who he is, what he's capable of doing, and he's allowing us to experience him in a way that we could not otherwise. And at the same time, it's like he's fine-tuning the piano, right? Because there's a couple of keys that, you know, you hit a couple of those keys and it's flat. You know, it just doesn't sound right. It has to be tuned. And that's what discipline is does for us it's it's his way of fine-tuning the instrument so that we can be more effective in 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 the purpose that he's placed us in whatever he has you to do in this life he wants you to be the best and the most effective at it and he's going to discipline train and guide you through chastening through trials that's the purpose of these things and why they come into our lives. Now, there's an aspect here, though, that I think we miss a lot of times. Even when we read it, we miss it. There, you can make the analogy that we're like an athlete in training. That's a good analogy. It's solid. You can make the analogy that we're like an instrument that's being fine-tuned but the thing that i don't want you to miss here is it says my son it says my son so there's a very personal aspect to this chastening it comes from the heart of a loving parent this is not just discipline from a coach They want you to do better and perform because it makes the coach look better. This this comes from a loving parent. One who wants to see you at your very best. Wants to see you experience the best that life has to offer. And is there to police and guide you through that process. And so it's very important for us to understand that, that no chastening is going to come to us that hasn't been filtered through the love of God. Jesus loves us. He loves us in a way that we cannot even fully perceive or understand. But through faith, we know that the chastening that he's bringing, no matter how severe it might look on the outside, it's... it's, never more than is needed and it's never less than is needed. That cup has the exact measurement for what you need to accomplish or what that chastening needs to accomplish in you. And we have to understand that. That's very important that we see that God dealeth with you as with sons. Now, to understand really what that means All you have to do is study uh, the Old Testament and look how that God dealt with the nation Israel as opposed to the other nations around about them. Um, God was, he had a ongoing personal relationship with the nation Israel. Um, For the large part that they were, the time that they were a nation, His presence was there in the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle and in the temple. So, proximity to God, uh, relationship-wise, was established by God. God placed himself amongst the people. And the way he dealt with them was with grace, with patience. In love over and over again, they would fail. They would have a bad king and they would uh, do uh, evil in the sight of God. They would worship um, other gods and idols and practice evil things. But God remained faithful to warn them, to send prophets, to say, hey, you're, that's not right. I know what you're doing. That's going to lead you to a bad place that you don't want to be stop prophet after prophet after prophet he would send them and he did this because he was dealing with them as a father to sons right that's the kind of relationship that had been established um and we have that times a million because we have the lord jesus the actual son of god As our advocate. So when the father sees us and when we fall, when we miss the mark or when we're being um, persecuted unjustly. He is going to provide grace for us so that we can get up, dust us off and set us back on the path. That's what the Lord Jesus does in his ministry as our high priest. So it's important that we don't miss the basic truth that, yes, uh, we will be chastened. That's part of having a relationship with a holy God and being unholy people, that we have to be chastened so that we can learn and discipline, so that we can learn and walk in a way that is consistent with who it is that we represent, who we serve. So understand that whatever trial that you're facing, that you will face, and I know that you are facing trials and that you will continue to do so as long as you're you know, on this earth, that the Lord Jesus is sending those things to you, to me, so that we can be better. It's part of our relationship responsibility uh, as the children of God. Um, there's a lot of people that claim to be a child of God, but they're not experiencing chastening. They're not experiencing trials, you know, nothing extraordinary. They're out having a good old time doing all kinds of things that, um, we look at it and go, oh my gosh, you know, that's not consistent with uh, the Word of God and what He says we should be doing. Um, and these are the people that, though they claim to be children, are actually bastards. So that's one of the benefits of trials and chastisement, is that we know the comfort in it the only comfort is that we know that it's from the Lord Jesus and that he's doing it for a purpose. And it confirms our relationship status with God. Now, if you're not experiencing that, if you're out and you are living in sin, if you're, you know, doing whatever you want to do that makes you happy in spite of what the word of God says, And you're not experiencing any kind of chastening or you don't feel any responsibility to God uh, and how you live. Then you're definitely a bastard. Uh, You're not a child of God. And it's clearly says that here. It says in verse eight, but if ye be without chastement, whereof all are partakers, that means all who are saved then you're bastards and not sons. So there's a comfort in knowing that even though we go through trials, that these trials have purpose. And for those who are not experiencing any of that, then you have a different problem. You need to be saved. But for those of us who are saved, um, we will... Be chastened, we will experience trials. We will experience what is, can be called unfair. Okay? And I'm not talking about basic unfairness in life. I'm talking about being singled out, you know, things that are that happen to you adversely simply because you're a Christian. Simply because you are a believer uh, and the the violent reaction that some people have to that violent reaction now, I can go around and say I'm a Christian all day, and nobody's going to treat me any different, but when I start living like I'm a Christian, when I start uh, setting boundaries on my life based on what the word of God says is right and wrong. Um, that's when people get violent. That's when people get upset. That's when toes get stepped on, but I'm not worried about those toes. I'm more concerned about my father and completing the race that he said before me. And if he wants my life to step on people's toes, they can take that up with him because I'm going to serve him. Uh, That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to serve him to the best of my ability. And I'm going to study his word to understand what his purpose is for me and what direction he wants my life to go in. So it's very important for us to understand that discipline is, has a purpose. It has a purpose to reveal to us who God is and to reveal things about him that we couldn't know any other way. So when you are confronted with those trials that come in your life, that just know that there's a purpose. It's not random. Um, God is using those things to mold you and to glorify himself and none of us have resisted sin until the shedding of blood these are the encouragements that hebrews is giving us that's that's why the writer is listening now understand that the people at the time that this letter was written they were experiencing extreme hardship um they were being alienated by family. They were Their businesses were not being supported. They were poor. They were wealthy, and then they became poor. Uh, they were ostracized, so they couldn't have a business. Uh, they were considered to be um, against God by their friends, their relatives, their countrymen. Um, it was very hard for them. And so the writer knew this and wanted to encourage them in a special way. And that's what prompted this letter to the Hebrews. And also, you, you'll if you study um, the New Testament, you'll see where Paul was very passionate about the gift that he collected for the Hebrew believers, the, the believers that were in Israel. And um, and so there was definitely, um, Paul certainly had a special concern for them. And I, I believe that Paul is the writer of this letter. I cannot say that dogmatically because it doesn't say that. But there are certain elements in the writing style and words that are used that are indicative to other letters that he's written. And so uh, I tend to believe that you can you don't have to believe that Uh, you can believe whoever you want, wrote it. But we know that it's inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. So God wrote it. So that's that's I think what's important for us to remember is that when we do have this chastening, there's a purpose in it. uh, And that uh, it's a there should be it should comfort us to know that the Lord Jesus is so interested in our daily lives that he has designed these trials for us to help make us stronger and to help us to see and know him and his love and grace in different ways. And that if you really examine any trial that you've been through or you're going through, once you get on the other side and you're able to kind of reflect on why it happened, and the results that came from it, you're gonna see that at the time when you're going through it, it seems so big. But when God provided the the relief or the, uh, the grace that was needed to get through it, when you got on the other end, you're so much stronger and the trial seems so small, right? It's because you've grown. The Lord Jesus used that trial to make you grow and you're stronger now. And whatever area that that trial was targeting, it worked. And now you're stronger. And that's why we don't look back uh, at things with sadness. The believer can look back at even hard things with a sense of joy and a sense of peace that surpasseth all understanding. That's... That's that's God at work. That's God using those those challenges um, for a purpose. So then we see a transition now. First, we saw where he uses um, the example of being sons. And now we're going to see, starting in verse 9, the example of the father and son relationship. So he's going to lean into that because most people had a father that, you know, looked after them and uh, had charge over them and protected them. Some people didn't. Some people didn't have that benefit. I'm one of those people that didn't have that relationship. But God always places someone in your life that kind of takes on that role. You know, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's a teacher, it could be uh, a coach, uh, but uh, an older um, sibling. Sometimes someone kind of had that role in your life. So he's going to lean into that. He says in verse nine, furthermore, we had fathers of our own flesh, which corrected us. So he's saying, you know, you had a father that was, you know, just like you, a human being that corrected you. And he says, we gave them reverence. There's a certain amount of respect that you give to your father because um, you know that they have your best interest at heart. They are in a position of authority um, over you and protection over you. And so there's a respect that Uh, Our reverence that, you know, every son looks up to his dad. You know, that's just how it happens. If a son does not look up to his dad, then the dad has completely failed the son. That's usually why that's happened. Um, Because sons look up to their fathers. That's just the way it is. That's what happens. And it's like hardwired in us. And so he's saying that, you know, you gave them reverence. You know, they, they corrected you. You know, you got, they, they came in and they, you know, found you doing what you, what you shouldn't have been doing and what they told you not to do. And you got discipline for it. And it wasn't something that you didn't expect. You expected it. You knew that that's part of the role of the father is to discipline you as a son when you got out of line when you were doing what you shouldn't be doing or you were doing what you were told not to. That was the role of a father. He says, you know, they corrected us. And it says, we gave them reference. Uh, he says, shall we not much, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? So we can respect an earthly father. We're talking about now, the father of all life, (laughs) the creator of the universe. Um, If that father has the same relationship to us and the love that a father has for his son, well, we know that because of who God is and how vast and unsearchable God is, that his love and concern is on that same level. So we should appreciate that and keep that in mind when the trials come, that this came from the heart of God, that this trial comes from the heart of God. And there's a purpose and that if we can give reverence to our earthly fathers, how much more should we be in subjection to the creator of all things? And I don't want to rush past this because here I think is really the crust of the entire Christian experience. Subjection to God, because that's really the path that God has placed us on. Every believer from the point of salvation till when they are standing before the Lord Jesus in heaven. You're on a trajectory of subjection. We have to learn to be subject or subject to God. I mean, we see it as far back as the garden, right? God said, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day that you'll eat of it, you shall surely die. That was the one command that man was given. No other commands. And man went against that command. That's what we do. Because we do not want to subject ourselves to anyone. Right? Certainly not God. It is not our nature to do so. That's why God has given us his son and given us a new nature, God the Holy Spirit, to teach us to be subject. And when trials come in your life... Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, don't kick and scream. Be in subject, be in subjection to God. Trust him. Trust that it's coming from him and that he is going to take care of you. And there's nothing that you're going to really lose because that's really what we're afraid of. That we're going to lose something. Even in the garden. That's what Satan told to Eve as well. It's because God didn't want you to eat that, of that fruit because then you'll be like him. So she thought, oh, I'm, there's something I, that's being kept from me. Something I'm not going to have. Right? And so we're on the other side of that. Now we're afraid. That there's something that's going to be taken away from us. That we're going to lose something. That we're not getting or having access to all that we could. That we see other people having because of this or that. When the truth is, God is not holding back anything from us. The Father has given us his son. And if he'll give us his son. What, what would he hold back from us? So it's not about what we don't have or what we might think we don't have. We have to focus on what we have in Christ. And the letter to the Hebrews makes it very clear that he has given us everything. And that in eternity, we will have all the things that we could ever imagine in christ all sufficiency is in christ and we are placed in christ and we'll be exalted with him through the heavens so in this life we learn subjection we're being prepared for to receive and to truly appreciate the gifts that await us in heaven. Gifts that are eternal, that can be taken away, that will never fade, that won't diminish. There's no entropy in heaven. So we have to understand that it's part of the process. Chastenment, it, discipline, it's part of this process that we have to go through. And the goal is subjection we have to learn subjection that is the key verse 10 of chapter 12 it says for they verily for a few days chastened us speaking of our earthly fathers after their own pleasure right they they disciplined us according to what they thought was necessary at the time and nobody questioned that that's just the role of a father in contrast, he says, but he, speaking of uh, God, he chastens us for our profit, not just for his own pleasure, not according to whatever he thinks. It's definitely with a purpose, it's for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Because holiness is the highest form of existence, holiness. And God has allowed us to experience his holiness even now, even while we're on earth. We get to experience it to some degree. When we keep our eyes on him, when we walk according to the word, when we're obedient to his commands, that joy that you feel, that peace that surpasses all understanding, That sense of security that you have knowing that you're where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to be doing. That's our little taste of this holiness. The righteousness of Christ that we get to experience through God the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be multiplied many times over in heaven, in our eternal state. So God wants us to partake and experience him and his holiness. And the only way we can do that is through discipline. And so he has a purpose. In verse 11, uh, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. So this is, a, this is just the basic truth. Uh, nobody wants to go through a trial. Trials are not fun, Right. Because we're on a course and we're used to doing certain things that we've always done. The trial comes, reveals to us, oh, wait a minute. You know, some of those things that we've always done or the thought processes may not be in line with what God's purpose is for our life. So we have to then change our direction. And that course direction sometimes involves some very... Um, uncomfortable unpleasant situations that God uses because you know what I may need to correct me may be different than what you need right but God knows that because he knows us intimately he has an intimate relationship with us he knows our heart and our mind because he's indwelling us through God the Holy Spirit so he is going to use whatever means is necessary Filter through his love to make those corrections. So that's why the, the writer is acknowledging this in verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but it's grievous, right? And if, let's just say the writer of this letter is Paul. We have a list of some of the grievous things that Paul has experienced in his life. As a result of his serving the Lord Jesus, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails multiple times, spent a night and a day in the deep Exper- experienced being naked, uh, starvation, being hungry. Uh, he was killed. He was literally stoned to death. So he's experienced some grievous things. Uh, And not to mention the thorn that was in his flesh. He had a disease, uh, we think it was probably a thyroid disease that affected his eyes, and it was very painful. Um, So he experienced a lot of grievous things, and so it's coming from I think a place of experience, right? But he says, at the while you're going through the trial, it's not fun, but nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what he calls that experience, that feeling of having gone through a trial, seeing the grace of God, how he's delivered you, how he succored you and gave you grace through the trial, how that you've been strengthened by the experience, and now you're in a place to serve him on a higher level. He calls that the peaceable fruit, of righteousness because that's the fruit of the spirit the result is now you are able to serve god and to radiate god the holy spirit in a way that you couldn't before you you can serve god and you can serve his people his your purpose right in a way that you could not before The trial has an effect. It has a purpose. It has a result. And the result is positive. The experience may not be positive. But the result is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But it's only unto them which are exercised thereby. So there are people that go through trials that don't get exercised by the trial. They flip and flop and they kick and... They do everything, they yell, they gripe, they complain, they tell God it's not fair and they don't want it. They do all of that. And the whole time they're missing the point. They're missing the blessing of yielding to the trial. Because they don't see the grace because they're too busy yelling and screaming and complaining. And they miss it. And they don't get the full benefit of this peaceable fruit of righteousness. But to those who are exercised by the trial, they receive the benefits. To those who go through the discipline, discipline themselves, they put forth the effort, they study the word, they are consistent in their uh, relationship, their contact, with the Lord Jesus, with his word, those people, those people are exercised by the trial. They receive the blessing, the peaceable fruit of righteousness that comes from the experience. So it's really important for us to understand that these trials are purposeful. And we have to look to the Lord Jesus to show us. And if you're going through a trial and you don't understand, by all means, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. He's He's faithful to give you the understanding. He'll lead you to the understanding. Right? It's going to be in his word. Now, if you don't spend time in his word, it's going to be really difficult for you to get that message. He can still get it to you. But the easy way to get the message just go to his word. He's faithful to give you the the reason and the grace you need to get through it. Now, I'm going to stop here um, because I want to give the rest of this uh, chapter its due. I don't want to rush through it, but it's in, it's important for us to understand that trials are a part of our lives, it's a part of the Christian life. And these trials have a purpose. And if you were just to sit back and think about, you know, some of the most challenging trials that you face, I think you'll find that they're, they seem really small now in comparison to where you are now in the Lord. I think if you really were to, Think about it. Yeah, during during the trial, it was like, whoa, that was, I, I couldn't see how I was going to get out of that. It was just seemed like too much. But now that I look back, hmm, I can see, hey, it really wasn't that bad. It really wasn't that bad. And the reason why is because I learned from it. And it made me stronger. And that's all from the grace of God. That's his purpose in these trials. And if you're a child of God, it should be a comfort to you that when we do face these trials, we face them with him, that he's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And that they come filtered through his grace and his love. Um, Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for providing us with trials. Uh, They seem very difficult, they seem challenging, and uh, they seem very hard to us. But your grace is always there for us. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us and open our spiritual eyes to see your grace. That we would experience the comfort of God the Holy Spirit to settle us. That we would be in full submission to you. And that we would trust you that your purpose is for our good. And that we could get on the other side of the trial and praise you for the trial. Praise you for all the good things that came from it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.